You are listening to a podcast from Providence Reformed Baptist Church. If you would like to listen to more of our sermons, please visit our website at providencewi.org. If you can remain standing while we read today's text from John chapter 20, we are nearing the end of a study that has been, at least for me, a growing experience. And to come out of the gospel of John saying, you know, I know Jesus better than I did when I went in. That's, that's a good way to come out of a study of the gospel of John. We are up to chapter 20. In case you haven't been with us, the beginning of chapter 20 is the record of the women coming to the tomb on Resurrection Sunday morning. The stone is rolled away, and uh, while, while I will not say that my, my take on harmonizing Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John is, is inerrant, the way I understand it is that Mary Magdalene turned around and went back when she saw the stone rolled away. The other women heard an announcement, didn't see Jesus. Mary went and got Peter and John. Peter and John came back and peered in the tomb, and then they went back and met with the other women and, and the other disciples. Mary Magdalene is standing outside the tomb where we left her, having gone a little bit, uh, taken a little bit longer to get there than Peter and John. And so we begin at verse 11, but Mary was standing outside the tomb weeping. And so as she wept, she stooped and looked into the tomb and she saw two angels in white sitting, one at the head and one at the feet where the body of Jesus had been lying. And they said to her, woman, why are you weeping? She said to them, because they've taken away my Lord, and I do not know where they have laid him. When she had said this, she turned around and saw Jesus standing there and did not know that it was Jesus. Jesus said to her, woman, why are you weeping? Whom are you seeking? Supposing him to be the gardener, she said to him, sir, if you have carried him away, tell me where you have laid him and I will take him away. Jesus said to her, Mary. She turned and said to him in Hebrew, Rabboni, which means teacher. Jesus said to her, Stop clinging to me, for I have not yet ascended to the Father, but go to my brethren and say to them, I ascend to my Father and your Father and my God and your God. Mary Magdalene came announcing to the disciples, I have seen the Lord and that he had said these things to her. We're going to ask God to teach us, and then you can be seated. Our Father, please give us a a reverence for you and a reverence for your word that would bring us to want to listen. We recognize that, that this preaching is coming from an errant human messenger, but we also know that you use uh, flawed people. So make your word do what you sent it to do this day. Bring us to realize that, that this truth of the resurrection of Jesus makes a difference in the lives of believers on Sunday afternoon and Monday morning in our workplaces, in our homes, in the thinking that we know that no one else sees, remind us of the hope of having a living Savior. Remind us of an identity that's wrapped up in in him and, and his love for his children. 
So instruct us, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen. Please be seated. I have known some of you for 29 years, and uh, at least one of you for longer than that. And people who know, have known me for a long time know that, that a lot of my discipleship influence came from my grandparents, and I talk a lot about my grandfather, but the truth is the more, the more active spiritual leader in my life who, who spent time and invested in me was actually Grandma Dagny. And Grandma Dagny, as, as a teenager, I, I, I don't know, if, I, I just, as I pray for my own seven grandchildren, and, and uh, mathematically there's going to be a lot more after that, I, I, want, I so want to be able to have a mentoring influence on my grandkids the way my grandparents had with me. But if, if they get to be uh, what I was as a young teenager, uh, I will appreciate Grandma more than ever, because she was just faithful, steady uh, as a teenager, and she would give me gifts, and she would give me counsel. And one of the gifts Grandma gave me was just a poster. She went to the Christian bookstore, and uh, I don't, I, I don't, I definitely wasn't the favorite grandchild. I couldn't have been, uh, but but she had a burden for me, and it could have been the fact that we were just a few blocks away, and she knew that things weren't real good in, in our home when I was a teenager. But she gave me a poster, and I, I wish I still had the poster. It's one of those things that, it's not bad to throw stuff away. That's something I wish hadn't been thrown away. It was just a, a beautiful nature poster. Somebody's sitting out in a boat, as I recall. But it said, I never get lonely because I am never alone. No, it wasn't a scripture verse. It was a scriptural principle for a believer there are times, and, and my wife and I were just listening to a, a radio program within the last couple of weeks, uh, statistically, there are a lot of married people who, who feel lonely in their marriage. You can be surrounded by lots and lots of people, have lots, of lots, lots and lots of distractions, and yet you feel abandoned, alone, isolated. I, I'm not saying that that's a good thing, and I'm not even necessarily saying that that's the main thrust of this text. We're talking about the glorious resurrection of Jesus, but the Holy Spirit moved John to focus on a woman. I want to talk a little bit of, before we dive into this text, because context is so important in understanding the Bible. We're talking about Mary Magdalene. We're talking about context. Why is she just standing by herself in what probably was a beautiful garden? It was uh, this, at least the tomb was owned by a wealthy man, Joseph of Arimathea. Uh, this, this probably was quite a nice place. And she's there by herself and she is bawling. Mary was standing outside the tomb weeping, the text says. And as she wept, she stooped and looked into the tomb. What had Mary experienced I'm not exactly sure where we can put the conversion of Mary Magdalene. And before we go on any further, I know that some of you probably have read some of the heretical literature that says Mary Magdalene uh, had a very, very close relationship with Jesus and that they were married. That is, that is from Gnostic literature. That is, that is 
horrible heresy that was invented long after the gospels were written. Mary Magdalene was a woman out of whom Jesus cast seven demons. He is her deliverer, not was. He, he is the deliverer of Mary Magdalene as much as he was the deliverer of, deliverer of Mary of Nazareth. And as her deliverer, as her teacher, the Lord Jesus had this close relationship with men and women and instructed them. Yes, he had the apostles and certainly Peter, James, and John were the closest to him. And the, the commission that, that he gave, the apostolic commission, certainly was to the original 12. But you cannot read the gospels without seeing the important influence the Lord Jesus had on women. And for that matter, Mary Magdalene, as we read the biblical account of her, she is one of the women who must have had some financial means because she is listed, I believe it's by Luke's gospel, as one of those who were helped paying the freight for Jesus and the disciples and supporting them. Vital role this woman had, and yet she wasn't controlling the Lord Jesus, she saw him as the Lord, as her master. She worshiped him more so than, than any earthly kind of human worship. Probably all of us have had relationships with other human beings that became inordinate, that became, those people became much more important to us than Jesus. No one could have been rightly more important to Mary Magdalene than Jesus. We really don't know her background and some have, have supposed that she was a prostitute and that really is not something that's mentioned in scripture. There are plenty of others that, that did have it, that kind of sinful background. What we do know is that Magdala is on the Sea of Galilee, south of Capernaum, which was the seat of Jesus' ministry after he left Nazareth. She had seven demons in her. The Lord Jesus had, as the creator of the angels that became demons, had authority over them, cast them out. Mary became a follower of Jesus, became his disciple. I'm giving you that background because that helps us understand why she stayed close along with Mary, the mother of Jesus, along with uh, Salome, John's mom, who is probably Mary's sister, as I understand the New Testament puzzle, putting these relationships together. Uh, Joanna, there, there were a number of these women. Some of them watched uh, the trial from a distance. Peter and John, of course, were able to get into the inner court. They watched as Jesus carried that cross piece up the hill. They watched as the nails were pounded into his hands. And a, a number of these women, including Mary Magdalene, had witnessed just the Friday before these events that we're studying today, had watched the brutal torture and execution of the one who had done no wrong. This is not just a friend. Mary really got it. She understood bowing the knee to King Jesus. He is not just a teacher to her, and he certainly is, is not uh, a lover. He is, in every sense, the lover of her soul. He is a teacher. He is... God. And so you can imagine having grieved and realizing that there's nothing they can do. Somehow she knew that the tomb was here. So word had spread among Jesus' disciples, including Mary Magdalene, including Mary, the mother of Jesus. Word had spread among them where this tomb was, 
where the body had been carried by Nicodemus and Joseph. So she came to the tomb uh, with the other women. They're going to uh, uh, finish anointing the body for burial, discussing among themselves how we're going to move the stone. We don't know for sure how big the stone was, but it must have been a big deal because the women are thinking, how in the world are we going to move that thing? And so as they approached, Mary sees the stone rolled away. And that's where we left off last week, other than some of the other details about Peter and John coming to the tomb. Mary is standing at the grave now by herself weeping. If, if you talk about trauma, if you talk about horror, who could have been through more horror? I know we, there, are, there are people who, uh, friends of mine from Rice Lake, who have seen the horrors of war, particularly some of my Vietnam vet friends, and, and have had to do things or have had to witness things that no one should ever witness. And God wired us to be horrified by horrible things. Mary's emotions then had swung from the terror of seeing her Lord whom she worshiped tortured and murdered and killed and his body taken down hastily and laid in a tomb before sunset. Now to coming to the tomb and the stone's gone. The stone's rolled away. She makes a presumption that someone has taken away the body of the Lord. So if, if we've set the scene of the trauma for Mary, you understand. It's not like, oh, she's just an emotional woman. She's crying. I... Pity the soul who could witness this, who isn't bawling. Mary is standing outside the tomb weeping, and as she wept, she stooped and looked into the tomb. <laughs> Another conspiracy? More corruption? Actually, the word John used for stooped uh, actually means stooped sideways. Para, she, she's looking like this, and that might be an indication, as the Spirit moved John to use that particular word, that, that maybe the, the doorway was a little bit below eye level. If you remember, Peter chucked right, right in when he and John were running to the tomb. So it was big enough for someone to go in, but Mary stooped sideways, and she's looking into the tomb, and we'll talk about what she saw in just a moment. Maybe wasn't a real large hole in that cave. If, if you look at this and, and you're making observations, which we should do when we're studying the Bible, you might be someone who looks at this and observes, uh, you know, logically, is there really any point in her remaining at a grave when there's no body? Because when we go uh, to a cemetery and we, we decorate uh, tombstones. We're saying these are the remains of, of this person that I'm seeking to honor. And so we go there and do that, but there's no one there. And Mary understands that. But you know what? Have you ever grieved? Grief is rarely predictable and it is rarely logical. This woman is hurting as she's standing at the tomb of her Lord. And all she knows is that somebody has taken his body. And this is the last place it's been seen. She came to honor her Lord. But when she stooped, John says she saw two angels in white sitting, one at the head and one at the feet where the body of Jesus had been lying. And if, if you look at first century tombs carved out of caves, there are a, a number of different ways it was done, but I'm 
I'm picturing the kind that had shelves cut into the walls. The, the stone, uh, much of the stone there is carvable. And so uh, a never used tomb had at least one place carved into the wall where a body could have lain. And John's description, what she saw is two angels in white sitting one at the head and one at the feet, but it says where well, the body of Jesus had been lying. So it, you've got the picture in your mind now, don't you? This is what John's giving us, a picture of the scene. Well, Mary had enough investigative energy left to look into this, and this is where everything changed. As she's bending to look into the cave, she sees the two angels sitting there waiting and this is just Steve's imagination here. You know, do angels discuss stuff? It's like, is this woman going to look in here or not? Because they had a mission to carry out. Angels are messengers from God. And so they're waiting for her. They had a message for the other, uh, the other women. Why are you looking for the living among the dead? He's not here. He's risen. Come see the place where the Lord lay. But the instructions were, yeah, there's one more. She took off. She's coming back again. And so now they have a little bit different message for her. In fact, a question for her. Angels, by the way, can take on human appearance. If we do a, a really quick angelology survey of the Gospels, at least the angels who appeared after the resurrection, uh, what do we learn? John actually said that the angels were wearing white. So there's that description. Uh, but it's helpful to harmonize the Gospel. Matthew talks about these, assuming these are the same angels that met the other women. Matthew's account includes just one angel whose appearance was as lightning and his clothing as white as snow. So we've got a little bit more of a description from Matthew. We assume they both looked the same. Mark only mentioned one angel wearing a white robe. Luke says that they were men. So they appear human. He called them men, but he said they were wearing dazzling clothing. So do you have the image in your mind? Little door, stone rolled away. Mary is weeping. She stoops because she's just wondering how these things can be. She sees these two angels who look like men, but who are, who are wearing bright white clothing. And they spoke. They asked her a question. Woman, why are you weeping? And she answered their question. I'm weeping because they've taken away my Lord. You notice what she calls him. They've taken away my Lord and I do not know where they have laid him. So you understand what's going on in her heart by what's coming out of her, out of her mouth. This is why she's weeping. There's, she, she doesn't say, I don't know. I'm just all out of sorts today. We know why she was out of sorts. We know why she was, even before seeing the angels. Isn't it interesting? She had seen enough that she wasn't bowled over backwards by seeing two angels. Pretty much every other time people saw angels throughout biblical history anyway, they are scared half to death. She's seen it all. And so she's got Two angels talking to her 
And rather than falling down in fear, she just says, they've taken away my Lord and I do not know where they have laid him. By the way, the first message to the women, uh, and I mentioned this, Luke records that they said, why do you seek the living one among the dead? And they had announced the resurrection to them. And Matthew's account says that the angel commissioned that first group of women. Again, this is in Steve's understanding of harmonizing. So Mary could have been in that group, but I'm, I'm taking it that she wasn't. That the angels had actually commissioned the first group of women to, to go back and tell the disciples. So the angels asked Mary, and I'm presuming later when she's alone, why are you crying? And she just gave the simple, truthful answer. Looking for my Lord. I can't find him. I don't know where they've laid him. Now, there's going to be more coming. But when she said this, John doesn't tell us if she heard a noise or what, but she's, she's leaning over and she's stooping in and she's having this conversation with two angels. How many ever get the privilege to do that, right? I don't know if she hears a noise behind her or what, but John just says when she had said this, she turned around and there's Jesus standing there. Doesn't say it's, it's a gift ghost, a spirit, it is Jesus in a body, a body like you are going to have one day, believer, the, the pattern for the kind of body we'll have. Jesus is standing there, and the text says she didn't know it was Jesus, and it's possible that he didn't look the same anymore, or it could be that Mary sincerely just could not imagine the possibility that he could be alive. Do you remember when Peter showed up at the door when he'd been in prison and the church was praying for him as Acts records it and he came and knocked at the door and the servant girl came to the door and left him standing out in the streets on a cool night and she went and said, Peter's at the door. You know, they're having a prayer meeting for Peter, maybe for dying grace because he's scheduled to be executed in the morning and they said, ah, it's not Peter, it's his ghost. We can convince ourselves, if we've played things in our minds over and over again, we can convince ourselves that something that is false is actually true, and we'll defend it. Could have been that. Could have been that there's just no way she could imagine him being alive, even though he had told his disciples that he would rise from the dead. You know, maybe the best possibility is that she has eyes dimmed by tears. She's not seeing straight. She has such grief. And so she just turns around and sees somebody standing there and she made some assumptions. So Jesus spoke. Notice the same question is being asked again. Why are you weeping? Woman, why are you weeping? But you notice he added another question. Whom are you seeking? Supposing him to be the gardener, she said to him, Sir, if you have carried him away, tell me where you have laid him, and I will take him away. So Jesus not only repeated the, angel, the question of the angels, he adds one more question in. Same question he had asked those actually who came to Gethsemane to arrest him, remember? All the, the big mob of soldiers coming with Judas and the chief priests and their servants and here is Jesus and Peter and James and John and the rest of the disciples. Jesus said, who are you looking for? Whom are you seeking? So Jesus asked her that question. Not only woman, why are you crying? 
but for whom are you looking? And John maybe had a personal conversation with Mary, Mary uh, after this. We don't know for sure, but all we know is that Mary's story is, I thought it was the gardener. We're in this fancy garden tomb area, and uh, I'm, my mind's going 100 miles an hour, and all I could think is, it must have been the gardener. Rather than answer again, as she had answered the angels, she just kept the investigation going, and she made an offer, and I want you to think about her offer. Would have been, I'll, I'll go with nearly impossible to manage. I won't say impossible to manage, but keeping in mind she's among the women who are coming to the stone who, who, who are talking about how in the world are the group of us, four or so women, going to roll a stone away from the tomb. So these probably are not big athletic women like you're watching on TV this week. These, these are just normal-sized women, and so her offer to carry away the body of a full-sized man whose body, with her view, has been wrapped in a hundred pounds of spices. And she says, yeah, just let me know. If you took him somewhere, just let him know and I'll, I'll carry him away. And then Jesus spoke again. He just used one word. Mary. She got it. The lights went on. Don't know why. Did she recognize his voice? Did he open her eyes? If you remember the Emmaus disciples in Luke chapter 24, Jesus had hidden his identity for a time. And it, it I mean, he's the Lord. He knew the timing was right. Have you ever not gotten something? And then when God finally opens your eyes, more than just some intellectual thing, oh, I finally understand election and predestination. Talking about things where you say, I finally understand that God is using these hard things to bring me to the place that will bring him maximum glory. He's got a design in all of this. He's so good and he's so loving. That's the kind of lights coming on I'm talking about. That's what happened with the Emmaus disciples. He's teaching them and teaching them and teaching them. And finally, their eyes were opened. Probably what happened here, more than just her ears, but he said, Mary. She turned and said to him in Hebrew, Rabboni. And John, because, because we're a, a bunch of uh, the heathen swarm, we Gentiles need that understanding that Rabboni means teacher. There were uh, these, these names, Mary and Rabboni, were likely the names by which the two had, since they had first met, since, since Mary had been delivered from demons and, and converted to a follower of Christ. These are probably the names they had used with one another. She recognized his voice, yeah, because of her audible hearing, but maybe she had new ears. Her new ears were prepared to receive marching orders Kind of like Jesus described back in John 10 in the, the Good Shepherd sermon. Remember what he said? My sheep hear my voice and I know them and they follow me and I give them eternal life and they shall never perish. She's his sheep. She's realizing now, I, 
I don't just adore my Lord. I'm going to follow him. And, and if you notice, he has marching orders for her as well. John does not tell us posture. Before he said she's, she's bending over sideways. And, and then he says she, she turned. As she's, she's talking to Jesus, but then she turns and says Rabboni when she finally realizes that this is Jesus. But we don't have any other picture here of her posture other than what Jesus said next. I know some of your Bibles say, touch me not. And I'm not saying that's a bad translation, but I, I think it might miss what's going on. And the New American Standard is, is so straight up and sometimes that, that is, it's wooden and some people say they don't like the readability, but this is good. This is really good what you have in the New American Standard here. And if your Bible reflects that, good. Stop clinging to me. If you read the other gospel records, the other women are recorded to have fallen at the feet of Jesus. And he said something similar to them, and this would have been later in the day because Mary is alone at this point in time. Mary's the first one to see the resurrected Lord. And she says, Rabboni, and John doesn't tell us, but again, based on what he says, perhaps it's an accurate picture to see that Mary has fallen at his feet. Now everything fit. And Jesus is scolding her. At least he's correcting her, if not scolding her. Stop clinging to me, for I've not yet ascended to the Father. But, and now he tells her, go to my brethren and say to them, go to the brothers. So we're talking about the 12 or the 11 or left. Go to my brethren and say to them, I ascend to my father and your father, to my God and your God. Question might come up, why did Jesus bring up the ascension? And, and I am arguing the same thing that Jesus argued back in John chapter 16 and verse 7. He's talking about going away. And even though the disciples had heard Jesus say, I'm going to be betrayed into the hands of the, the elders, the chief priests, the religious leaders, I'm going to be crucified, third day rise again. He had said all of that on more than one occasion. When he started talking at the Last Supper that evening in his instructions, started talking about going away, they were confused and they didn't get it and they were grieving. And in John chapter 16, Jesus said, it is to your advantage that I go away. Because if I don't go away, the helper won't come. When you see the big picture of the ascension of Christ, and we, in our tradition, typically don't celebrate uh, the ascension of Christ, but it's a pretty good thing. We, we often don't take a special church service and celebrate Pentecost, but this is a good thing when you read the New Testament, not only do you see the Lord Jesus bearing the sins of his people, conquering sin, and rising again, conquering death, showing us the pattern for resurrection of all believers, you see him ascending to the Father, you see him sending the Spirit of God, as we read the, the interworkings of God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit in our, our church confession this morning, when Jesus says, stop clinging to me, he's communicating something very important. Mary, you are used to having my physical presence here with you sometimes. 
there's something coming. I'm ascending to my father and your father, to my God and your God. And to echo the words of John 16, we can say it's to your advantage they go away. Better to have the spirit of God present permanently than an occasional physical visit. So we're not told of any other interaction, not that there wasn't any, but Mary had been given a command by her Lord. Do you really think she's going to say, well, no. This, this is not a peer-to-peer relationship. This is not a husband-wife relationship. Uh, this is not an employer-employee relationship. This is a God and created subject relationship. And God the Son has just said, go. And so she went. That, that pattern for submission to authority starts with submission to the living God. And so she left. And she went to the disciples. Remember the first message? The first message was, they've taken away the body of the Lord and I don't know where it is. Boy, look at this message. Look at, think about the message of the other women, for that matter. Mary had a better story to tell than the other women had. They had heard the good news. He is not here. He's risen. Look, the tomb's empty. Come see the place where the Lord lay. They'd heard the good news. Mary had seen it. And so she said, I have seen the Lord. And so she described what had happened. We started out talking about the trauma that Mary had been through and that this is a, uh, an experience that very few humans have to witness. Mary watched the Lord she worshiped, betrayed, tortured, violently executed, and then she's defrauded of customary mourning and, and seeing the body and grieving over it. And so Mary at this point felt as alone as any person ever did. But believer, there's a reason why the Spirit of God has put this particular account here. And it certainly is a part of the demonstration of the core of our faith that Jesus is alive. But we're also learning here because sooner or later, believer, and I'm talking to you who follow Christ, if, if you're not sure where you stand with Jesus, there's, there is a darkness that you're in and, and there will be no way you can ever grab onto this until you've bowed the knee like Mary did. But for you who have and who do, you are going to experience a troubled heart, a loneliness, even if not to the degree that Mary did. And because Jesus is alive, there is hope for troubled hearts. He is near, even when it seems that you are all by yourself. When people have horribly disappointed you, uh, before I, I conclude this and we get to our application notes, I'll give you one example of, of, of an instance where God is always doing something to remind us of who he is and what he has said and what he has done. This statement, how you can know that Jesus is near even when it seems you're alone, this statement, he sends helpers. I'm going to describe what this means because it happened with the angels in this account. Some of you grew up watching Mr. Rogers. 
And in, in his later year, I liked Mr. Rogers. Some, some of you maybe couldn't stand the guy. Um, but Mr. Rogers said, you know what my mother told me? If you're lost and you're all alone, look for the helpers. There are always helpers out there. Look, and I, I don't know if he was saying that from a spiritual, spiritual perspective. I know the guy was an ordained clergyman. But you know, it is true for a child of God. Those helpers may not take on angelic appearance. One particular lonely time in my Christian life is as I was at a, a place where I was very much growing in the Lord and I, I was a, well, ask me later how, I won a trip to the Bahamas. And I, I went with some, some other students from Iowa State University and uh, which was down the road from where I went to school. And we were hanging out and and going on the beach and snorkeling and doing a lot of things. But most of that group were living a college spring break lifestyle. Did I, am I prudent in the way I'm, I'm presenting this? And so we're in the Bahamas on spring break with a bunch of college students. And what was really disappointing is that even the ones who claimed to be followers of Christ who were connected to Bible teaching churches were just doing the same thing as everybody else. And I, I felt very, very alone at that point in time because I just, you know, what am I going to do? And uh, was even offered uh, cocaine for the first time in my life. And so it was just, it was, it was a difficult, unusual experience for me. And so I'd, I had been getting to know this little girl from Butternut, Wisconsin, and I, I was sending her a postcard from the Bahamas. And so I found a post office in town. I think I walked across town to find a post office and feeling particularly lonely. And this, there was a woman behind the counter. I think there was one employee in the whole post office. It's kind of like going to the Cameron post office. There's just one person running the whole thing. And this little woman was running around singing, Anywhere with Jesus I can safely go. Anywhere he leads me in this world below. Anywhere without him dearest joys would fade. Anywhere with Jesus I am not afraid. I thought, boy, isn't that sweet? It's, it's helpers, helpers along the way. Those of you who went to Haiti uh, last year with me and we had all, all of these nervous uh, transitions and here, you know, God just puts people in the places and they're not always people, by the way, who are going to encourage you and love on you. Sometimes the helpers are people who have to chide you. But the point is this, in her grief, by the mercy of God, in the grief of the, the other women and the disciples, God puts messengers right in the midst because he loves his people. It's just like him to do that, isn't it? Maybe they aren't always angelic, but he strategically places people in your life to speak the truth that you need at that moment. Give the encouragement that you need at that moment. That's why I'm saying all by yourself or not, it's just like him to send helpers, isn't it? A demonstration of his love, of course, takes you back to the central message of the cross and the empty tomb. Romans 5, God demonstrates his own love for us in this. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. So I'm not saying he is proving. I'm saying he did prove it. He spoke it, but he did it. Even, even when no one's around, you have assurance that your Redeemer showed you the full extent of of his love for you. Do you realize, believer, that's your identity? 
Mary's identity was not lonely. Mary's identity was not confused. Mary's identity was not ignorant. Mary's identity was not person who once had seven demons and messed up her life, made bad choices. Her identity was loved by Jesus. Yes, sinful and flawed, but loved and welcomed. Here she is in this position. He proved his love for you. That's why you can know he's near, believer, even when it seems you're alone. A plan that is better than yours. Of course, he gave her marching orders and I'm not saying that this was such a horribly difficult thing to do. Truth is, you and I make plans and planning is good, but what happens when God takes you on a rough detour asks you to do things you never would have done before. Certainly, you never would have planned it. Planning is good, but we should always embrace God's detours. Uh, There is no better comfort than to be near him, even when his directions are taking you down a really, really rough road. And you understand, don't you, that as Jesus appeared to the disciples over the coming days and just before his ascension, as he said, having gone, make disciples of all the nations, teaching them to obey everything I've commanded you, and I am with you even to the end of the age. Do you know where they were going to end up? Do you realize that once they added a 12th, and then if you call Paul the 13th apostle, every single one of them, historically speaking, but John, who wrote these things, died a horrible martyr's death. Say, thanks a lot, Jesus. Well, doesn't that tell you something about the rough path? That he's with you even to the end? That he walked with them to the end? That is, Stephen, who was not an apostle, who was just one of the deacons in the church, is preaching the gospel. And as he's dying, he realizes that there's more than this pain that we're going through right now. That even though I'm surrounded by enemies and I'm all by myself as an ambassador of Jesus, he looks up and he sees heaven open. He says, sees Jesus not sitting, but standing at the right hand of the Father. Plans a lot better than you and I could ever come up with, brother and sister. And it comes down to the mission. You have a life purpose. I'm not talking about just something that that unbelievers can grab onto and say, yeah, I just I I have to have this life that's driven by a purpose. Talking about God's purpose. Your primary purpose is to glorify God and to enjoy him forever. And that's bigger than your comfort. That is bigger than all of the the things that you seek to find satisfaction. That's bigger than your marriage and your relationship with your children and your career. There's an identity that a follower of God has and a mission that a follower of God has that is designed by the living God for your good and for his glory. And people who have those things in mind who are saying, I'm following hard after him, set my face like a flint. I'm going hard after him, whatever the cost, it is a sweet life. It, it is a yoke to bear, but it's an easy yoke to bear.